Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 59, Yoga and Sleep. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. If you find yourself getting bent out of shape trying to catch that good snooze, the ancient practice of yoga may be just what the doctor ordered. In this week's episode, I sit down for a conversation with Carol Scroggins, a certified yoga teacher, to discuss her journey with the practice and how it may play an important role in improving the sleep of those who struggle with it, including herself, as you'll hear. Importantly, Carol is also a nurse practitioner, now specializing in clinical sleep medicine, a qualified ambassador, if there ever was one, between the two worlds. All right, so I'm pleased to be joined here by Carol Scroggins. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you're, you're here as our uh, resident expert in yoga. Uh, you are a yoga teacher. What, what does that really entail? Can you walk us through that process, how you, you got to the stage? Um, yes, um, I went through Yoga Alliance, um, and I have a 200-hour yoga certificate. Um, what that means is uh, you have intensive training for 200 hours in a classroom um, in addition to homework. Um, You learn the basics of yoga, the anatomy of the body, um, which was a little bit easier for me being a nurse practitioner. (laughs) Um, And then and then you learn um, the benefits, um, the positive aspects of yoga. And hopefully you can um, get your students to enjoy yoga and see the positive benefits by practicing now, with, with, with that latter part, is that almost like having a better understanding of the psychology of yoga on how you as a teacher can use this tool to help empower your students or you know, help them through various difficulties in their life, not just sort of the, the physical aspects of it? Right. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever met anybody in yoga that wasn't there looking for a specific thing, um, whether it's dealing with anxiety, insomnia physical pain, um, tightness, um, you know, when you get up and you just can't move like you used to and, and people realize that and they look for things and yoga always pops up for flexibility. So in your experience, what do you think is the most common reason? Because that those are, that's a very wide range of things. Is it the physical that really draws people? It really does. Um, I think the main thing is people hear about yoga and they think of it as a relaxation class. 
And so they come mostly just to see what it's all about. And then when they get there, they see that there's more to it than just exercises and poses. Um, I think there's more mental. Well, there's probably about as much mental as physical reasons that people are there, but they come for a wide variety. And what do you think helps keep them there? You know, because for some people, they might see that and be put off a little bit and others might be drawn <laughs> in, maybe depending on the original initial reason for showing up right. in the first place. I mean, you see all types of people, just like you do with any exercise class. People come, they check it out, they don't like it, or they don't want to make the time to do it. And then you have those that are really looking for something and um, yoga is kind of like a family. So you meet people there. Um, you get inspiration from your teachers, from the other students that are there. And you see that not everybody there is perfectly fit. Um, and so, you know, it kind of encourages you like, well, I'm not here just to get fit physically. There, there's just so many reasons that people walk through the doors. And then there's reasons why people don't come back. So it's, it's fairly in, uh, inclusive. So it's, it's not like you have to have a certain level of physical fitness or mental fitness to be able to participate and, and get benefit from it. No, no. People come in there all the time and they say, you know, I would like to try yoga, but I'm not flexible. You don't have to be flexible to do yoga. Um, it's all individualized you can do it at your own level we we have a class that that goes all the way from beginners to experts if there's such a thing as an expert yoga um, student what do you think separates the the beginners from the experts like how how many years of experience do you think might separate those those two different uh, classes of people well i mean i have people in my class for the first time and then i have people that have been doing yoga for 20 years. Not that many. There really weren't that many yoga studios 20 years ago, but there are people that have been doing it for that long and they're all in the same class. Okay. Um, the good thing about yoga, it's like non-judgmental. You're not really looking at other people in the room, like in a, in a gym. You're so focused on your own person that you don't even notice that there's other people in the room. That's kind of a, a weird dichotomy of like a, a, a social activity, <laughs> but also very, very individual it at is, the same time. Yes. Um, now, having said that, if you have someone in the class for the first time and they're not familiar with the poses, you do tell them, you know, look around. Um, if you need help, then then the teacher's there to help. But they also look at the other people and, and they can get an idea of what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but it's it's really simple. It's it's nothing really complicated. I mean, all the poses are, are easy for just about anybody to, to do. Now, what drew you to yoga in the first place? <laughs> well, it was by accident. My by gym, accident. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to the gym because I've always liked to work out. And... Um, the gym had closed. And so on my way home, I was like, well, I'm already dressed out. I need to find something to do. And right across from my neighborhood was a yoga studio. So I said, well, let me just go in there and try that. What have I got to lose? And I was hooked the first time I walked in. It was a hot yoga class. And hot yoga, it enables you to stretch a little bit easier. And people either love it or they hate it. Is it uncomfortable? Because I hate being hot. So. Yes. 
Um, like I said, people love it or they hate it and they never okay. come back <laughs> or they're addicted to it and they just can't get enough of it. Um, I loved it because yeah, it is tough because you're sweating. Um, but then after class, you just feel so refreshed and you think, okay, that was a good feeling. I want to go back and try that again. Um, and that was about six years ago. And I've been practicing about five to six times a week since then. Except even during COVID, um, I did it remotely. You know, we had Zoom meetings. Was that more awkward than, than usual? You know, having to do it over Zoom? <laughs> No, it really wasn't um, because I was still doing it with the people that I was used to. I wasn't teaching at the time, so I didn't teach any classes over Zoom. That might have been odd. But uh, no, you know, it was interactive. Uh, they could see you. You could see them. And and once you're used to practicing yoga, it, you want to do it. So that's just more of an incentive. Now, what made you want to take that extra step and go from practicing almost every single day to taking the leap and you know, becoming a teacher? Because I guess because I love it so much and I've benefited so much from it. And so I thought, well, maybe I could use my experience to introduce other people to it so they could see the benefits and see what I get out of it. What, what do you get out of it personally? I, <laughs> okay. So I, for a long time, I have struggled with anxiety and depression and insomnia. And so starting um, to do sleep medicine with you actually helped me to, to learn how to sleep. I, I started doing sleep hygiene, but then the anxiety was still there. And, and through yoga, yoga is a mindful practice. And mindfulness helps to slow your thinking down. So um, I think a, a lot of depression and anxiety comes from thinking about the past. So you think about the past and things you want to change and things that you wish you had changed or done differently. And that can bring a lot of depression to a lot of people. And then there's the opposite side you think about the future, um, how you want to go about living in the future, things you're going to do. And, and that can cause a lot of anxiety. And so when, when we go to bed at night, I think that's um, a lot of what we do is we have time. You're not, th you're not sleeping. So you start thinking about the past and you think about the future and your mind just goes from one thing to another and it's hard to slow down for a lot of people. So backing up to yoga, yoga uses um, breathing techniques. It syncs your movement with breathing. So not only does it help you with your strength, body strength, it helps your mind to strengthen. So I'll just give you an example. Um, we'll do one breath with each movement in our poses in yoga. And so it makes you focus on your breath and, and breathing is something that we do without thinking about it, right? And so when you actually slow your mind down to think about your breath, it doesn't leave room to go to the past or the future. It brings you into the present. And so that's mostly 
what kept me going back to yoga was I wanted to live in the present. I didn't want to live in the past. I didn't want to live in the future. And, and, and I, and I used that along with my cognitive behavioral therapy for my insomnia personally to help me slow down, focus on the present. And by doing that, it helps you relax and you go to sleep. So, um, lots of benefits. When we use a a tool set like cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, there's some behavioral pieces like restricting the use of the bed just for, for sleep and intimacy to try to improve someone's chances of that when they are physically in the bed that they're actually sleeping. There are some cognitive techniques to try to restructure our thoughts uh, about sleep, our attitude towards sleep, our relationship with our sleep. And then there's another component that I think often gets overlooked a little bit uh, or just kind of rushed over. And that's sort of bridging these two aspects, the cognitive and the behavioral. And that really is the relaxation part that when we are over aroused, agitated almost you know, in, in some individuals, you know, whether it's you know, mind racing or not, it's hard to settle down. So we could be physically agitated. We could be mentally agitated. And, you know, we might recommend, you know, a, a laundry list of different techniques that somebody could use to relax physically and, and, and mentally to be able to, to, to get to sleep. What's, what are the, the shirts and pants and socks and your laundry list of relaxation techniques that, that you commonly recommend to patients when you're talking about CBTI with them? Um, well, I, I, I tell them whatever you do to help you relax, whether it's prayer, meditation, relaxation tapes, and of course, yoga. I don't, I haven't really come across many of my um, patients that practice yoga for that, but I always recommend it. You can even download free apps that, you know, if you don't want to go into a studio, if you're self-conscious and you think I can't do it, but there's certain yoga poses that can help you wind down a little bit more to increase your blood flow, to help with that relaxation. And, and then the breathing, even if you're not doing yoga, if you practice your deep breathing exercises, which I always recommend, and I'll give them, you know, examples of, of how to count certain ways to, and it's not the counting that helps you to relax. It's, it's taking your mind out of focus from anything that would be distracting. So first step is usually to, to try to look back with them to find out what have they done previously that really helped them relax. Uh, mm -hmm. do, do you get a lot of blank stares at that point? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I don't think our society really knows how to relax these days. I mean, especially now. You know, there's so much going on, and, and I think our brains just have a hard time shutting off in general. Or sometimes, you know, I, I often see um, sort of unrelaxing things that people will turn to. You know, you ask them, what do you do to relax? Because you know, this could be very helpful to implement as part of this new routine to, to get to sleep on time. And for some of them, it's, you know, it's watching action movies or, you know, smoking a <laughs> cigarette or, you know, doing jumping jacks or, you know, something that... Right. Know, may not necessarily uh, be associated. Yes. <laughs> Something that mm -hmm. might not actually help them settle down. Uh, 
and so I, you know, it's it, sometimes it, it's hard you know, for us to distinguish distraction from relaxation. Uh, and you know, this is why a lot of people end up turning to, uh, you know, what they call maladaptive coping strategies that you know, it is, they are coping. They're doing something in response to the agitation, something in response to the hyper arousal, but it's not necessarily helping them out. It's not necessarily adaptive. It could actually be, you know, pointing them in the wrong direction. Right. When you, you know, give them this list of things where, you know, a, uh, audio tape of you know somebody talking them through relaxation or your know, uh, muscle relaxation um, or yoga. I, how accepting are they of these kind of suggestions in the first place? Do you, do you get a lot of resistance at that point? Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, I already do that. It didn't help. Um, I just can't shut my mind off." I hear that all the time, and I and I tell them. Um, you know, if you focus on, on your breathing, your mind is going to wander, but it's a practice. You have to keep doing it. When your mind wanders off in the wrong direction, then you stop it and you bring it back. And then you start focusing on your breathing again. Um, and it's going to wander again, but you bring it back. And the more you do that, like any practice, it's going to get easier and easier. I mean, and you can even, you know, do that throughout the day when those anxieties start creeping up. Stop, focus on your breathing, and it, and it, it, it gets easier. But I do have resistance when I tell people <laughs> to do that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's this, uh, it, it's very common to say, well, you know, I, I tried counting to 10 one time and then I still had anxiety <laughs> the next day. So, so maybe it didn't work. And right, maybe I shouldn't right. try, I'm not going to try it ever again. What about yeah. for, for yoga specifically? You know, if you, if you bring up this topic of yoga, um, you know, we, we, we practice in the, in the Mid-South, um, not exactly yoga central, you know, this is not San Francisco. Um, right. What kind of reception does that usually have among our population well usually i hear i'm not flexible i can't do yoga and i don't know people just think in their mind oh if i'm gonna go do yoga i have to be able to stand on my head and touch my nose to my knees (laughs) and they and then they just you know get a mental block but and i explained you don't have to be flexible um People do yoga for 10 years and they're not flexible, but the, the mental benefit that they get from it. And it also gives you strength, it strengthens your muscles, whether you're flexible or not. But that, that's the biggest um, thing I hear. Or I don't want to go in a class. Um, you know, I, I don't feel right. I don't know anybody that does it. I'd have to get somebody to go with me and, you know, things like that. That sounds like a, a great opportunity to, to bring a friend along. <laughs> right. <laughs> or you go and you meet people while you're there. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you think that's, you know, one of the major problems is that there's this, uh, a reputation uh, about yoga that there are almost a prejudice of sorts. I, I where, think so. You know, if you're not, you know, already able to join the circus and then perhaps <laughs> you're, you're not a candidate to even go to beginner's class for yoga. Right. And, and I also hear people say, oh, well, yoga is a cult and I'm not into that. <laughs> I, I haven't heard that one. That's, you haven't? I've, uh-uh. I've heard that a few times. 
Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I try to explain it's not, it, it's an, it's a mental and a physical exercise, but it's definitely not a, a cult. You don't have to have any certain beliefs to go and, and help yourself to, to be healthier. Well, that, that's a very interesting point. I mean, do you, do you think that there are some people who are really good candidates for yoga or others who really should stay away from it? You know, what makes somebody a, a you know, a, a good candidate to, to try yoga in the first place? Every, everybody's a good candidate. Um, there's restorative yoga classes. There's chair yoga for senior citizens that aren't, that can't move or they can do yoga right in their wheelchair. Um, you know, and you're never too old to start yoga. Um, no, I think everyone, everyone's a candidate. You just have to have that desire to, to try it. Now there, you know, there, there may be many people that have uh, certain concerns about their own breathing, whether they have asthma or COPD or, you know, history of near drowning or claustrophobia where they really, you know, their breathing really gets them worked up and, and really anxious and, and agitated because breathing is a big part of yoga. Do you find that to be a source of resistance or does, or should people stay away from yoga if they have any issues with their breathing? Yeah, no, I mean, it actually improves breathing. Um, personal story. I used to have exercise induced asthma. And since I've been practicing yoga, I don't have it anymore. Um, my breath, I, I deep breathe a little bit easier. Um, I don't get out of breath even when I'm, power walking or riding my bike. Um, it, it's improved my breathing. And I don't think people should let that keep them from trying it because it, it can, it, it helps your, your deep breaths. Um, or you, you find a lot of people that have breathing issues, asthma, emphysema, they don't really take deep breaths. They have really shallow breathing. So it, it could actually help that, but it, that's not a reason to, to not practice maybe hot yoga. You know, I wouldn't recommend that, but um, I mean, there's regular yoga, not just hot. So it sounds like, you know, yoga is, is a pretty all-encompassing term that there's lots of different styles or classes of, of yoga, different ways to practice it, and that it's very easily adapted to each individual's need, you know, whether it's a, a physical need, a, a mobility need, a flexibility need. Um, so it, it, it sounds a like mental, really a mental, mental need. need. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Socially, yeah, if you, uh, yeah. you know, making friends, yeah, <laughs> that too, yeah, and it it improves your overall health. Um, I know we were talking about um, restless leg syndrome and how yoga could possibly help with that. It it in, increases blood flow, um, and we know that you know the decrease in oxygen could help with that restlessness. We recommend people to to uh, soak in a warm bath for their restless legs, use heating pads. Um, but when you practice yoga, it increases your blood flow, which warms up your tissues, which can also help. And, and some studies have shown that it, that it improves that. Yeah. And, and, you know, restless legs is very common in, in pregnancy, especially in the, in the second and third trimester. And this is a time where we really try to avoid any pharmacological agents as much as possible. And so certainly one of the first line recommendations for, for restless legs, uh, you know, would be non-pharmacological. And in this population in particular, you know, there is evidence that 
things like gentle exercise are quite helpful for it. And, and I would say that yoga would fall into that category. You know, you're not running a marathon, you're not, you're not trying to, you know, do a hip press of 500 pounds. Right. So, you know, I think it's gentle enough exercise. <laughs> that, you know, there really is you know, good data to support that it's use in that population. Yeah. All right. Uh, any parting words for our uh, yoga naive patients who uh, <laughs> yoga naive into, uh, listeners who may be curious about yoga and how it could fit into their routines and practices for, for getting a good night's rest. Yeah. I say, you know, um, I mean, yoga helps you rest. Um, it slows your body down. There's a yin and a yang of yoga. Um, there's the poses that we go through. And then there's a style of yoga called yin where it actually helps you relax. You focus on your body. Um, you know, you just do a, a body scan. You see anything that's uncomfortable. You work on those areas. Breathing into them helps. It helps you relax. Um, I just don't see any reason not to try yoga. I guess that's the <laughs> that's the issue here. Um <laughs> Have you ever tried yoga? I I have tried it, and I'll say try uh, with a, a very large T. Uh, I'm I'm very inflexible, <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I you know <laughs> every time you know I've I've tried it many times by myself um, with a little bit of success, uh, and then you know every time I try it. Um, in the presence of my wife, uh, she just laughs at me <laughs> because of, of how uh, poorly flexible I am in, in my inability to engage in, in, in many of the poses. There's there's always modifications, um, but I will oh, say I, I take advantage. I take advantage of those. Well, and, and you can't you can't practice two or three times a week and it really expect to get a lot of benefit from it. It really has to be, you know, four or five times a week regularly. 45 minutes to an hour, you know, not just a couple of poses, um, but, but, you know, everything's a start. So you got to start somewhere. But um, I I just, I would encourage all of our listeners to try it, you know, try it for two weeks, four days a week. And and if you don't like it, then that's okay. It's not for everybody, but um, it's, it's really been a, a life changer for me. So why I teach it now. That's excellent to hear and a, and a great endorsement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, Carol, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.